The goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Data Transformers. I'm happy to have with us today David Van Bruen, co-founder and CEO of Fairly AI. Welcome, David. Thanks. It's good to be here, Peggy. Welcome, David. Thanks very much. <laughs> so, David, I know having formed your company, Fairly AI, um, we obviously have to talk about um, the ethical nature of AI and algorithms today. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the, the reasons why you started this company and how you think ethics is being handled today amongst the data science community? Sure. Um, I studied philosophy in school and then in grad school, I got into natural language processing because I was more focused on uh, mathematical logic and linguistics but i took a lot of ethics classes throughout those years and uh had an interest in um, meta ethics and applied ethics and so when i started uh as a practitioner in data science i noticed that there were no conversations about ethics and at that time um it was something strictly for engineers it seemed it was trying to improve your accuracy uh, have bigger better more complicated architectures play with deep learning and and try to have some kind of magical outputs and these were being uh, progressively brought into areas of um, social cultural impact um, as soon as we start training uh, deep learning on social media and social media uh, ends up being humans talking about human issues and human problems the social media data ends up influencing the outputs of the machine learning models in a very direct way so if you look uh, somewhere around 2017, I'd like to say, Microsoft put out a chatbot that started. I remember that. Very <laughs> profane. Yeah. <laughs> like no one thought about it. It, it no was self-learning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, why, why would it uh, start swearing at people? Uh, it should just be a smart, intelligent creature that is polite. Right? Um, this was very much on my mind because I was doing a startup that was uh, looking for parental concern issues for children in their social media. So I uh, started when there was a lot of active academic research and sentiment analysis in the natural language processing 
and uh, that ultimately was just positive or negative sentiment. I like it, I don't like it, and that was being funded, I think, by uh, hedge funds and other, you know, do people want to buy Microsoft stock today? Let's scan the internet, see whether it's positive or negative. Uh, and it was like a emoji smile face uh, was a great way of determining if someone's happy or not. Um, but we got into questions of um, mental health, depression, suicidal ideation, things that were certainly not the domain uh, traditionally of engineers to mm. make <laughs> sense of. And so that I was uh, very much faced with um, moral issues. I mean, personal data being used uh, is a big part of uh, a concern for any data scientist working in this domain. But uh, beyond that, uh, people sometimes forget that the point of machine learning is to make decisions or to make mm -hmm. predictions. And it's not just about privacy, it's about what the machine learning systems are recommending to humans or automating. And if you had a human going through a whole lot of news articles and saying these are the important ones, you would expect them to have a lot of responsibility. These are senior, senior editors that are held accountable, lose their jobs if they make mistakes in the traditional uh, news system, for example. But now the algorithms are doing this for us all day long, every day, and no one seems to be holding them to account. Yeah. Um, it, it's a clear and inevitable um, market in the future to develop the technology, to develop the services, and to um, build governmental frameworks within an organization to ensure that automation of our personal of, of, of things affecting our personal lives are yeah. done responsibly and if this doesn't happen you know in the extreme we're looking at some kind of crazy terminator type scenario dystopian future that we're not going to get there because yeah. people are already actively working against it but um just how well we we succeed in uh procedural ways technical ways and as a culture that's grappling with digital transformation is unclear at this point and we very much could have uh very progressive and um humanitarian digital future if we get this right and if we improve on uh past human decisions for example less discriminatory algorithms than humans that they learn from so, so david actually i was looking at uh, the website fairly.ai and then so actually it talks about uh you know not having biases from a regulatory compliance perspective and then the, the process is test, audit, and deploy kind of a methodology mm -hmm. that you guys are doing. So the question that I have is who sets the rules for testing? Like what is fair, right? Is it purely from a governmental framework that you're taking? 
are who defines the fare of this AI? So I've always been convinced that there's no technical solution for determining fairness. I took classes in game theory for, you know, reducing ethics to game theory or having some kind of rules-based system where the humans can just close their eyes and, and let the technology sort out deep human problems. And that's not, it's not going to happen. Uh, we need human oversight. But the other side of it is that humans who are disconnected from the technology are only able to say what you know principles they sh that should be applied or what um, procedures perhaps uh, can be applied. There needs to be a connection between the two. So mm -hmm. the way um, something similar uh, is being handled right now in the world of finance is uh, model risk management is very much um uh, procedurally handled within large financial organizations and has been for uh you know decades but more recently with uh sr 11 7 guidance from the federal reserve there are now um, some pretty there there's still innovation here but there's some pretty decent procedures in place for handling the risk of a model um, mm -hmm thought of in terms of financial risk and reputational risk. And these can be transferred over to other human risks like uh, bias discrimination. And um, it, it involves a system where you have model developers that are working regularly with QA teams and testing the models as they go along, having a pretty rigorous documentation requirements in order to both reproduce the models, but also for uh, outside auditors to have a sense of how the models were built, what decisions were made, and what information gets included. And it, it can be um, pretty, pretty easy for humans to understand if you're bringing features into a model that uh, are for example, looking at gaps in someone's resume, and then you might be discriminating against women who take off parental leave. Are you, mm -hmm. are you optimizing for uh, continued employment history if you're doing a resume scanning tool? Or are you finding ways to kind of patch over that? There's a lot of decisions like that that are made by data scientists and that can be understood, recorded, and sent to people on audit, uh, external teams effectively. Um, and then they have a, so that's kind of the first line of defense. And then they have a second line of defense where um, you have a separate team that is investigating the quality of the model and are disconnected from the people that developed it. And ideally providing uh, completely separate test data sets and also comparing them against challenger models that might perform um, better in different circumstances. And then having a, a report, a model risk report um, effectively coming out of that and working uh, together with senior executives. And uh, I think this is really key 
that there should be something like a chief model risk officer mm. or the, I mean, depending on the size of the organization, most have chief risk officers and that the results of this testing and the reports are funneled up to people in a very senior position up to the board level um, who are held accountable ultimately. And that's the recommendation that is being made that the board is ultimately accountable for the models that are used in an organization. I see, that's a good point because there's a questions being asked about that one as well, okay. And mm -hmm. the, um, the framework that um, you built inside Fairly AI first with um, identifying biases um, to, to data scientists and secondly, holding another group accountable for checking it and providing challenge data sets, I mean, that type of framework for um, helping to govern AI, I mean, do you see that um, being usable in all industries or have you um, seen this more applicable in more regulated industries like financial services, for example? The technology is pretty horizontal. Machine learning algorithms are just statistical learners and it doesn't matter what the domain uh, we're dealing with uh, is in most cases. I mean, there's some technical differences. Some domains have time series, others don't, but you can cover most of the um, typical uh, data structures that you would have uh, in any kind of decision function that you're building. And then the procedures for testing was going to have a need for domain knowledge but that's true of every model even if you are working within a narrow vertical um, so i think the problem is willingness and you know budget that comes along with willingness to get this right and it is very consistently indexed to the regulatory requirements as well as the uh, perceived risk of a model um, and, and those are also uh, connected so even within a financial organization um, that we're talking with a, a number of uh, organizations that have marketing uh, as well as fraud detection and lending models and their marketing teams don't have to do much work at all in terms of documenting and managing because they've just been deemed low risk um, the what they would have to do if they were deemed high risk would be pretty similar and i think more and more applications of uh, machine learning will be deemed high risk or in need of regulatory requirements or at least uh, internal business process uh, that leads to audits and uh, strong QA because the public is becoming more and more aware of the existence of machine learning systems that are uh, affecting their lives. And part of that comes from things like GDPR and uh, what's uh, being passed in California, the yeah. CCPA and CCPA. so on. Yeah. Everyone is starting, I mean, Apple's yeah. new website for their updated uh, OS 
says, you know, Safari will give you the state of your data privacy every week in the report. And it's like, this is consumer facing people care at this point. So, so David, um, so we talked about the, uh, how do you, you know, identify the bias in models with, with a, you know, board and all this stuff, the bias in the data itself. Like there's this concept of historical bias, right? So example I could give last year, maybe this year, there was a financial institution uh, who was you know, responsible for giving loans. And then they, later on, they said uh, the minorities and women were discriminated against it, right? It could be because of the historical bias in the data itself that maybe before the AI was implemented, any of that stuff, the people who were giving out the loans, they looked at you know, people who can pay, you know, so all those things factored in. And so they were making decisions based on that framework itself in giving out the loans. And then when they implemented the AI system, it just took the historical bias of the data and then uh, dished out. So uh, what are your thoughts about it? Like, uh, what do you do about this? There's a treasure trove of data and then that you're relying on and there's a bias already in the data. So what do you do about it? So there are technical fixes, but they usually come at a cost uh, to accuracy and performance. So, um, we've been doing some demos because it's hard to get an organization's data to do demos so we find public data and one uh, data set that we're using is from the home mortgage disclosure act uh, that gave a very sizable uh, data drop i think 13 million historical loan decisions and they do include information about uh, protected category status, like race and gender and age. And we train models on it and consistently they uh, are giving approval rates at a much higher uh, rate for Caucasians than people of African descent. I mean, it's, it's super easy to show using some basic metrics that historically um, people of African descent have had uh, much lower success rates and that the machine learning picks that up immediately and consistently. Yeah. So one quick fix is to alter the weights in the historical data. So this is a data pre-processing technique where you can then have um, equal likelihood of uh, approval of a loan um just by having the six you know if one represents approval zero represents uh, denial after you alter the the weights some people will be at a 0.73 and some will be at a 0.12 and then you can calculate that you know that's perfectly mathematically equal treatment but the problem with techniques like this is a lot of information is lost because some people really should be denied loans you know yeah <laughs> just like a quick fix. So then the, the better way to do this typically is to do um, in processing. So the algorithm itself does a debiasing technique. So um, depending on how you want to understand uh, a fair lending model or a fair loan, um, you, you can say everyone agrees 
because you are male or female or of one race or another or one sexual orientation or another, this should not affect your odds of success. Mm. Other things should affect your odds of success, of course. Your income. The point of what we're doing, you know. Obviously, we need to like have real good reasons. Um, And so you can remove information about your protected category status by doing a, a little trick, which is within the model, have the model attempt to predict that someone is a male or female, as well as at the same time trying to predict whether or not they should get a loan. And then you want to make the model better at predicting the loan. And so you reward uh, success there and worse at predicting whether they're male or female. So you have uh, feedback into the loan from two different sources uh, that makes it progressively worse at predicting gender and better at predicting loans. And then the algorithm itself uh, overall well, tends to be a very fair algorithm. And that, that's a popular technique, adversarial debiasing. So it sounds like, um, I mean, two different points I, I have is one, the technique that you described is it's not based on the algorithm itself, it's the actual data scientist who has to know mm-hmm. how to actually implement. So there's that big human factor um, mm-hmm. in, in influencing you know, the, the results and whether they want to have that bias inherently or not. Um, and the second thing you, you talked about earlier was, you, know, you mentioned GDPR and CCPA and all these regulations. And uh, are, are you for more regulations in terms of AI? Um, or how does that stifle the, you know, the innovation amongst the data science community and, and actually doing their work? I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts I, are. I think regulations come when business fails. And if business does its job right, then it doesn't have to deal with regulations as a reward. And hopefully, um, and, and this is already happening very clearly, um, all the big tech companies have invested pretty heavily in responsible AI. All the big uh, financials, healthcare, they're investing in this. Um, they're not perfect. And a lot of people within the organizations are complaining about all the extra paperwork and <laughs> all the, you know, the tax on the road is one, how one person said, we don't need more of this in our way. but. The problem is if you want to get a expensive project to market six and, and, and not have it completely ruin the reputation of your company, you're going to have to deal with making sure that it functions properly. I mean, if you're building airplanes, you have to make sure they don't crash and that people don't come off of it with bruises because they're banged around everywhere. Um, and industry, uh, if they want to compete, if they want to protect their their reputation, uh, already have a need. So hopefully um, there will be less need for regulation, but sensible regulation Mm -hmm. in order to solve prisoner's dilemma type problems where no one's going to do something that puts them at a competitive disadvantage simply because it's 
the right thing to do in a business. So the government has to say, you know, all of you are going to have slightly lower accuracy, but more fair models. And that's just what you're going to have to deal with. Something like that um, may be required, but hopefully um, the goal is that uh, the, the regulators only come in after the fact to uh, make sure things work. Yeah. So David, a little bit of a discussion on the business side. Um, so the CIOs, um, the IDC survey says 83% of the CIOs, uh, maybe CXOs, they're saying they want to invest in AI uh, are investing in AI. And then the other flip side of that is like a, only 10, 15% are who are deployed in production and stuff, yeah. right? So I mean, you started this, this company and so you, you have a very you know, deep knowledge and also awareness of what's going on. Are you, your solution is horizontal. So that means you can go across multiple industries. So what's your take on number one, which industries are proactively you know, looking at AI, implementing, deploying number one, Number two, uh, what kind of companies are being successful in deploying and uh, what kind of companies are not able to, uh, you know, succeed in this area? So definitely from our experience, banks, especially the larger ones, the credit unions, maybe not as much, but um, large banks are, are very much interested in investing in um, machine learning and putting a lot of attention on making sure that they get it right mm -hmm. insurance as well to maybe a lesser degree and uh health care uh, these are high stakes human impact <laughs> environments and they're regulated and so it all makes sense um we're we're hearing that while you see a lot of data scientists being hired and <laughs> in hype when we talk to people um, who you know know what's going on if they're more senior there's often a little wink wink but we're not actually doing it <laughs> and it's like well why are you spending all this money yeah they want to do it and i i think they will it's just um a lot of roadblocks when even just to get the training data into the hands of the data scientists at the right size. Um, things like hiring, outsourcing uh, teams to work on data science projects to save money, but yeah. they have to actually be working in-house and you, you can't put the data in the cloud. There's lots of roadblocks there. And then, the so the one that we're really focused on at Fairly is the roadblock of people understanding, dealing with, and confirming that the risks have been mitigated and the best processes have been put in place to ensure that what product comes to market is uh, at least a better quality than your current <laughs> product. Um, Are you a product company or a services company? So we build a product for tracking the um, information that's necessary to perform a proper audit mm -hmm. of a machine learning model. Um, so we definitely need a service component for anyone who's using our product, if that's internal, the 
the compliance team or an external auditor or consultant um, would be working with our product nice. uh, in that capacity, but yeah, services. Hmm. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.